Welcome to the Recruitment Marketing Rebelcast. My name is Elin Bailey, and alongside me on this journey into the talent acquisition and recruitment marketing universe is my friend and favorite partner in crime, Tracy Parsons. We've been getting together and talking and debating the world of TA for what seems like forever. And after a few too many cocktails, we thought, what the heck, let's hit record. And that, my friends, is how we ended up here, sharing our thoughts with you in hopes you'll find it equal parts fun, interesting, and a teeny bit inspiring. We don't sugarcoat the issues, we address them head on. So let's get this party started. Hello, Tracy. Hello, Elin. Good morning to you. <laughs> Good morning to you. See, now you sound all chipper. We did our like pre-call uh, chit-chat and I started with hello, Tracy. And you're like, hello. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> ah. I'm like, okay, we're putting on our, we're putting on our podcast voice. That's fine. We're, pu- we're putting on our recording face, <laughs> our recording it. voice. Got Somebody it. hit record. Somebody hit record. Now we're going to smile. No. Sounds like you have energy. I am. Oh, my goodness. So, Tracy, that's actually an interesting um, place to start. Energy. Energy to keep going. What does it take? Uh, Why is it challenging? Why are we, why do so many of us feel stuck? I mean, I know that we've circled around this conversation before, and 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 I don't want to necessarily spend a huge amount of energy right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the dialogue that that's kind of this woe is me recruitment, nobody understands us, everybody hates us, let's go eat worms in the recruitment marketing space. But I think there's something going on in the environment today that is causing this additional moment of reflection. And I think although we've touched on lots of different pieces around what does it mean to be in recruitment marketing, what does it mean to be doing this sort of work? Is it, what is the value add to an organization? Is it um, you know, is it the the thing that everybody understands and sees the root of? Why are we always trying to explain ourselves versus being an intrinsic part of a, an organization's DNA? And and how does that correspond, right, with what we're seeing out there with with companies and the choices they're making around who they're keeping when times get hard and which part of their infrastructure from a talent perspective do they see as most important and what drives their decisions to focus on some things versus others. I think it's a valid conversation to have. And I think it's one that I think if we don't have it, we're not reflecting what's going on out there for a lot of people. When I've been telling my husband lately, like, I just feel like everything is the waiting place from, oh, the places you'll go. Right. I feel like we are just waiting for the fish to fry, waiting for, you know, a hair haircut, like just there, we're just stuck in the waiting place. And if you're not familiar with it, go read it. It's the best book. <laughs> I do love, Oh, the places you'll go. Yeah. But oh, yeah. We're stuck. Oh, the places you'll go. And then sometimes you won't, right. You're stuck. We're stuck in the waiting place, Alin. Yeah. And so many companies, and I guess this is, you know, this is what has me completely vexed right now is truly paying attention to what companies are valuing when they value it and why and how hard it is for some C-suites to ground their business, their decisions and their strategy in the people. And I don't understand why this is so hard. Like all the data is out there to tell you that when you have happy, productive people, and you have happy, productive talent who are interested in joining you, 
that you are more profitable. Right. Right. I mean, the but business- instead we're, fo- yeah, we're, yeah. Instead we're focused on like, okay, our PL is XYZ and this costs us this much money and this is how much we're making and this is what's happening. And okay, let's, let's pivot here or pivot there. And, but we don't, we don't put our universe of people at the core of decision-making. And that is what makes me vexed. I don't understand how we're still not there. I mean, is there something about the fact that this is just inherently when we talk about the people decisions, right? The way in which we think about talent and its value and, and, and what it does for, for a business or an organization. It's very hard, I think, for people who are looking at spreadsheets and stock prices Right. Yeah. Um, to to translate how people I mean, like they can they can they can emotionally attach to it. Right. I understand people are important because I myself think I'm important. Right. I mean, people can emotionally. attach <laughs> to it, But when they look at it as, a, you know, I'm making this decision off of this spreadsheet that I'm looking at from a cost perspective. Right. People are expensive. Work around people is expensive. Thinking about people as replaceable, as other commodities that I use to produce my end product Mm -hmm. is easier to manage in a spreadsheet stock-based world, right? and, And so I don't think it's bad people making uninformed decisions. I think it's just the difference between their understand their, their what they are really intrinsically motivated and driven by by versus what they're extrinsically motivated by right so like there's this whole the intrinsic motivation i mean I, i'm i'm working around my way to say something that probably is not going to sound very nice and people may disagree with me but intrinsically the motivation is money not people but we mm-hmm. talk about it like it's people because we want the people to all believe it's the people so that they'll work for us harder to make us more money. But really, at the end of the day, um, really good individuals, it's not that they're bad, right, are making decisions based on their intrinsic motivation, which is dollars. Right. Or euros or wherever they're at. And uh, that's just the way it is. I mean, I, I think it's just the way it is. And it but costs- don't you think it's a little short-sighted? Completely. If I didn't think it wasn't short-sighted, I wouldn't be in this. I wouldn't be in the people business. Well, that's true. It, it absolutely is short-sighted. And by the way, I think that they're like logic. Like I think that I, I can tell you, I've been in conversations with people who are sitting in these sorts of C-suite positions or making these sorts of decisions. I think when things are not overly taxing for them, when they're able to focus in on the depth of a argument or an ROI or a conversation, they get it. And I think they actually believe that they're people driven. I, I don't think that they don't believe that they're people driven. I think they do okay. believe at their root. But I think when stressed, when pressure hits, when the board comes knocking down their door, right? It is easier to make an argument based on a number on a spreadsheet than thinking about that number as a human being. Yeah, I think what's challenging to me is that we keep chasing the market, right? So look at where we were eight months ago. We were doing incredibly innovative things, trying to build relationships with talent and candidates and external people, as well as internal people, you know, thinking about mobility. 
we were chasing the market because there weren't a lot of great talent who was available to change or interested in changing, right? Because basically the market had decided the thing that we do in recruiting is uh-huh. it doesn't work for them, right? I don't want to change unless I have to change yep. and I want to change on my terms. And so we, st- we were chasing the market because the market wasn't there. And we had to come with all kinds of creative solutions that stretched ourselves, right? So we had to stretch not only ourselves as professionals, but our leaders and their thinking that, okay, you know what, hiring manager who's complaining about having to sit here and wait for a great employee or a great you know, slate of candidates for weeks and weeks and weeks because they just aren't there. So how can we be creative, right? And then we crashed. Mm-hmm. And what's the first thing that people are cutting? All the things that supported that market. Because at the root, right, at the root, people believe, I'm not saying belief is wrong. I'm just saying at the root, there is now the assumption that says, yes, when it is a buyer's or, a, you know, a candidate's market, right, meaning there are, yeah. there are less candidates than what I need available to me, then I need to cater to them. When there are more and I am making dollar decisions and I know that people are panicking and need to work and et cetera, I don't have a, I mean, how many times have I had this exact saying come back at me and I just want to throw up, right? Yeah. I've got more than enough applicants. Right. Sure you do. You can get, when there are people who are desperate for work, which is where we're Mm -hmm. at, people need work, Right. They're trying mm-hmm. to put food on their table, Maslow's basic hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. You are not going to be in a gap for candidates. Now, the question has always been, and the argument we have never really done a good job of making in this business is, volume is not going to sustain you and produce for you the quality output that you need as a business. Your bottom line will be hurt if you have less quality talent. We have never, we have always made the argument. We've run all of our business measures. I mean, I have been arguing this one for years and we're not listening to ourselves. We keep basing all of our business measures, even when times were good for us around volume, speed. So if you base all your business, if you base all your metrics on look how much I reduce the time to fill for you and how cheap it was for me to find you great talent. Well, what's going to happen when times are rough, when times are rough and the business needs to start cutting its resources and who it needs to focus on to get talent in the door. The argument that volume and speed was what was important and I can get volume and speed without you there. Right. Why do I need you? Yeah. But you're still missing quality. And, and so, so and then you look at what's happening with DNI, right? Now the market is starting to demand that, you know what, companies? You're really cute with your <laughs> Black Lives Matter Instagram posts. Oh yeah, let's all put up our Instagram posts, right? And right. Talk about and how then and then we, are. we care, we right? care. We care, we care. And then I go look at your I go look at your board and your leadership, and there's zero diversity. No gender no ethnic, no nothing. Right. And it, it tells me everything I need to know. It tells me that you really care about how it looks from the surface. And I've seen a lot of interesting conversations on Twitter in the last couple weeks, like, Hey, these big corporations are 
getting their butts handed to them for saying that Black Lives Matter, but not believing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And not investing in it. Mm-hmm. And holy shit, all of a sudden we need DNI. We need DNI. Now <laughs> you need a DNI 20 years ago, 40 right. years ago. Yes. You, you now right. it's not going to help you. I mean, and not, I mean, thank you for coming to the party. I don't want to. Welcome wanna, to the party. Right. I don't want to dismiss that you're in the game, but um, understand you're not really in the game. Just like you were never really in the, the talent focused recruitment marketing game, understanding about how to build relationships with talent. You have always been in the transaction game. You stayed in the yes. transaction game. And in this new world of Black Lives Matter or diversity and, and inclusion, you are still in the transaction game because your driven motivation is, I don't want to piss off my customer base. And you put all sorts of brilliant slogans around it. And you have a couple of well-meaning people sitting across desks who are like, woohoo, they finally understand this. I can get my great initiative sold in. And they finally believe in DNI, it's not that you don't have really great people working on DNI in your company who really, really honestly believe it. Just like you had really great people who really honestly believe in the value of recruitment marketing and building communities and relationships. It's not the people in your company who are trying to help you get there. It is you as leaders seeing that sweet thing and how you're making your choices and decisions about whether this is your, your DNA as a company is who you are. Yes, it's about the value of people or it's the value of the dollar. And it sounds, I'm such a, I'm, listen, I am a capitalist from here to high heaven. Right? I completely get it. I want to make a dollar or anybody else, right? I like things and I know things cost me money, but I clearly <laughs> understand that in order to get things, I have to think differently about my relationships and interactions with people. And I think that, again, spreadsheet decision makers aren't there. No. And I, I was thinking about this, not just l- l- like in the last week when I've, I've had a startup before, right. And I've written business plans mm-hmm. and I've, I've the most important thing to me when I was starting a company, when I was starting this business was the talent that I had alongside me to bring it to reality. Right. Because I'm I mean, I'm not the the greatest doer of all time. I I certainly can write a little front end code. I can't write any back end code and 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 I can market it. But, you know, there's limitations there. But for me, like when you're starting a business, the people that you have at your sides are going to make and break you. And at some point you grow to a level that those people become numbers on a spreadsheet. That's right. And I, I think that that's what breaks my heart a little bit, right? Because when when I was starting, it was really important to me that we had diversity, that we had a, a wide variety of voices because when we were building a consumer product, I wanted all consumers to feel comfortable, confident to use this, this product. In fact, our product was designed, the, the last one was designed to eliminate bias, right? We wanted to anonymize candidate portfolios, right? Mm-hmm. You'd never see anybody's name. You'd never see where they went to college. You never saw their work history. You just saw their work. And that's what we were looking to do. But that team was everything. And I even knew at the beginning of starting that company that I was not the CEO three years later. Like I, I knew for a fact that I don't have the skills to be a CEO of a large scale consumer brand. So that was already in the plan, 
right? But it's that, that it was in our DNA that the people that we surrounded ourselves with mattered more than anything, almost mattered more than the product. Because we knew that the people who were building that product with us were the ones that were going to make it magical. How do people lose sight of that? I guess that's one of, one of the things that I'm always, you know, how does a large company lose sight of that so easily? I, you just, I, I'm reflecting on what you just said, and I'm thinking about um, my own experiences in small, medium, large companies doing my own kind of thing. And you're, you know, the one thing that has been a consistent has been the small group, the team, right? Mm-hmm. The team that works on something collaboratively together understands the value of each individual in the team. It's inherent. It happens as part of, it yeah. just happens as part of the way in which um, the community and teams interact together. When you start getting, I think there is, right, a point in time at which you start getting large enough or you feel as though you're responsible for a set of decisions that pull you away from understanding how everybody is contributing to the goodness, right? And you start focusing on your what you believe the expectation is to this outside shareholder, stockholder, right? It's like a, um, it, maybe it's about you get big enough, like you're talking about at some point, you realize you're not going to be able, you, the types of ways in which you operate when you become large enough is not going to allow you to have this personalized, integrated relationship with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I think it's something important for us to kind of reflect on. And by the way, I I keep wanting to say, I don't think this is people who are making these non-people related decisions, right? Or when when the rubber meets the road are making those choices that would not be choices I would make, or I think I wouldn't make. I don't know. I'm not, I don't think that they're inherently bad people. No. There is, there is something in the tension, right? that forces that, that to happen. It's that, you know, this is no different than that same conversation that, you know, enabling organizations um, in, in large businesses have been having since the beginning of time. How does HR get a seat at the table? Yeah. Why doesn't anybody ever listen to IT, right? <laughs> I've been in all these organizations. I've been in an enabling function most of my adult career, right? And enabling functions all have, listen, the L&D people, you know, Go L&D crew, right? The L&D crew has been McClaney since the end of time. Training doesn't solve anything. If people could just understand who we are, what value we had, bring us in earlier into the problem and we can help you solve it, right? It's the same thing all of these people-oriented or enabling functions have been saying. But enabling functions inherently are on the outside and don't, no matter how we try and talk about it, are not seen as having a direct line to the bottom line, they are just users of the money, right? The bottom yeah. line is the people who build the product and the product is the thing that needs to sell. Yeah. And people build the product, but there's this underlying belief that good people will always be there. Yeah, because they need jobs, right? To, to your point, they got to put food on the table. Right. And I, I agree with you, Alin, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really, you know, mm-hmm transparent because a lot of times I'm just like this, this balloon in the air, like, why isn't everything perfect? Right. And I I know that if I were, if I were facing the choices that a lot of our um, corporate leaders are facing, I I would have to make tough choices. And I'm not saying that they're making bad choices. I think they just might be 
not looking at all of the variables. And that's what I'm saying. So, you know, I know that we have made huge strides in recruitment marketing and employer brand over the last five years. And I also know that we have ballooned our teams Mm -hmm. um, to a really, to a really uh, high degree because of that volume of work that needed to be done. Right. When we had a doubt, when we had a market that did not have enough people, we had more jobs than people. I, I understand that. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't have cut um, some of those teams. Sure. Because I understand the financial pressures. I just what I'm trying to point out is that as recruitment marketers, it's it's kind of our job to make sure that our leaders know all the variables. And that's where I feel like we kind of get lost as a profession sometimes, right? And, and you and I talk about this mm-hmm. all the time, and I might be the worst offender, but, you know, you guys just don't get it. And why don't you get it? And this is important and it should happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm, right. I'm the worst offender. Right. And, and, and what I'm trying to say is, is maybe that maybe we're doing it wrong. You know, maybe we're not couching our case in the way that leaders make decisions. And I think that there's something to be learned there. Um, if, if we are having spreadsheet-driven decisions made, then we better be producing really great effing spreadsheets that show the value of the work that we're doing even when things turn. Right. Here is the kicker to that, right? I think yeah. you're going to, you know, I think there are people listening out there and, and even teams that I've worked with who will say, that's what they've been trying to do. And that's why they have been, they've been trying to speak the language of the, of the leaders, right? By trying to validate their ROI with these numbers that they feel are quantifiable numbers around things like speed and volume and et cetera. And, that'll, and, and I think that's what kicked them in the butt. And I think mm-hmm. the difference is, is that we have to look at it and say, it's a spreadsheet world right? Mm-hmm. You need to prove your value without trying to make too many leaps in assumption, right? Yeah. That is directly related to why you need to be here, even if, right? Even if the, the outside market, the candidate market is full of people, right? What is your well, argument then? What is the, yeah. what is that? Now, I believe I can go down this path in a, in a million different ways. I've been trying to really push this. I believe that the argument is fully baked in this idea of data, right? Mm -hmm. That in recruitment marketing, we have been selling ourselves in this idea that it's about how many people we can attract, right? Mm -hmm. And in our new world, where we think about things like predictive analytics and the ability to make smart decisions and to understand quality, because the issue is quality, not volume. Always. Then the conversation becomes, is recruitment marketing's role about bringing in more people, or is it about understanding more about the people and doing the work to get enough data to allow us to make the best decisions about people? This is, this is a, using all the skills and capabilities we have about engagement and nurturing and community and relationship and using it to build good data stories that are up-to-date, relevant, and valuable starts to allow us to connect our value as an organization, as a capability, to this out product, which is data. Data is very tangible. The, you either have a lot of it or not a lot of it. And when you have a lot of it, you can make better decisions. And when you don't have a lot of it, you're shooting craps. Yeah. Yay, let's shoot craps, Alyn. 
I, you know, um, I love shit. Did I, 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 everybody right? should have, everybody knows the story. Tracy taught me how to shoot craps. <laughs> I can't do it yes. without her, but I, I, if, I, if, yeah. if you want to learn how to shoot craps, we'll meet in Vegas sometimes out there, listeners. Maybe we'll have a rebel cast gathering. Oh my in God. Vegas and we'll all play craps. It'll be so I am fun. so, I know we've been having a very serious conversation, but I'm, uh, I'm so thinking we need like a rebel cast meetup at the craps table. Hell yes. Okay, so sorry. I want to go. I want to. Sorry for the sidetrack. <laughs> Welcome to the Rebel Cast. You guys know that's what to expect, right? The Sunshine Initiative is a labor of love for Tracy. And we hope that you'll go to parsonssc.com and check out some of the great people that are there, ready, and looking for their next opportunity. You know, when you feel helpless, you try to help. And that's what the Sunshine Initiative is all about. There's so many talented employer brand, recruitment marketing, candidate experience, and HR tech pros out there that have been impacted by layoffs. And we wanted to shine some sunshine on them in hopes that they can find their new home. Please take a look at this great talent and see if you can help connect them to their right opportunity. Hello, my name is Graham Quinn, and I'm a globally experienced professional specializing in brand strategy, employer branding, marketing communications, and content management and development with over four years in the marketing and employer branding space. I'm a brand awareness change agent recognized for delivering high impact growth and increasing reputation in key markets to maintain prestige as a top employer. I believe in helping companies build their brand and communicating their culture, mission, and purpose through authentic and effective storytelling while improving diversity, equity, and inclusion within the organization. Thank you, community. We appreciate it. One of the things that you were touching on the data, the data is so <laughs> important, right? Mm-hmm. But you said something and you didn't say it explicitly. And what I heard you say was that you had an economic downturn folder in your desk. <laughs> And it was like, okay, I'm going to pull out this folder, this manila folder that says, this is what we do. This is our pandemic plan for when this, when, <laughs> when something goes wrong, this is how we reposition recruitment marketing. Alin, I missed that one. Right. And I think, I think a lot of people missed that one. Um, and I don't mean like the leaders of our country. They obviously missed that one. Um, <laughs> that, like, yeah. that nobody... <laughs> I, I really was under the impression that somebody had a manila folder in their desk that said, oh, well, why do we have pandemic? Let's execute plan B. Well, I mean, seriously, um, every movie on the face of the planet taught me that. There's well, a- yeah. And I was like, wait, there is no manila folder. Holy shit. Like, what are all these risk mitigation people doing? Yeah. Anyway, apparently you had one of those for recruitment marketing and I didn't and we didn't. And God bless us. Why are we weren't we talking about this a year ago when everybody was like, I think there's going to be an economic downturn, but we didn't pay attention to it. And I'm glad that somebody was Lynn. And this is, you know, you're right. It, it has to be a shift from um, growth marketing. So like how many people can we pull in lead generation, you know, demand generation for our company and our jobs to education and relationships right? If there is an economic downturn, which we experienced, we should have quickly pivoted to leadership to say, okay, this happened. Here's our manila folder, right? We're going to stop investing over here in demand generation, and we're going to pivot our resources to relationship building and education. And, and granted, we were probably doing a ton of relationship building and education, but we were probably doing a bit of both, right? And we, we could have expanded a little bit when this happened into internal mobility, 
right? So how mm-hmm. do we find places for the bodies that are going to be displaced if we do have that situation? Right. And so I think it was a missed opportunity that we didn't have that manila folder to say, okay, we are not only prepared, but we are ready to pivot on a dime. Hey, leader, here's why we're valuable. Here's what you're going to get out of this. Here's how we're going to make it a softer landing for the people who are, we are going to have to displace. And here's what we're going to do about this that is actually going to benefit our brand from the consumer side and the employer side because we are reading the room. Right. But you know what it requires to do that, Tracy? This is where, I, where I'm like, I, I'm zeroing in and making the dots for everybody is that what it requires to do that is you have to have already been rooting your business, your business plan, your psychology around the work that you are producing around what your actual unique value proposition was versus a reactive mode, which was yes. you say you want volume. I'm going to give you volume. Like, like we were, we were, uh, I think we miss, and this is why I connected to where we're going with CNI and with all these other places. Right. So the guy who's up there looking at the, the world around them and says, Oh, and I say guy, maybe it's a woman, but listen, that doesn't happen as often as it should. So, amen. Okay. So, the guy's looking at it and saying, Oh, my goodness, there's riots breaking out on the streets. We really, I firmly in my heart believe all people are equal and we need to have a different way of looking at inclusion and diversity. What are we doing with our inclusion and diversity program? And he calls, he picks up his red phone and he calls down to his HR department. He goes, What are we doing about inclusion and diversity? Right? And the HR leader. Oh, I love up. that. The, I love that he has a bat phone. All of he has a bat phone. Bat phone yeah. to HR, and then the HR uh-huh. person's like shocked that it rang, like they were sleeping at their desk. Like, what? What the hell? Okay, and they pick up the phone. And like he goes, "What are we doing about diversity and inclusion?" And they go in and they pull out their folder. The problem is their folder was built in 1975, right? And it's mm-hmm. based completely uh-huh. on how do I give you um, an illusion that you have this thing and it's my illusion is all smoke and mirrors based on my standard set of tools in my tool chest. I've been trying to tell you why diversity and inclusion is important for the last 25 years. You decided Mm -hmm. it's important today. I'm worried you're not going to think it's important tomorrow. I want to make sure I get a seat at the table. I'm going to give you what I think you want to hear, which is how can I make the world think it's important and your product will get purchased more? So it's all going to be about marketing, spin, and communication. And then That's underneath exactly, yeah. it, and then See, underneath it, yeah, underneath <laughs> it is as an HR person, I'm going to go, oh, they're finally paying attention to this. I'm going to give them what I think they want, which is data around marketing and brand impression, right? And then I'm going to mm-hmm. put a little secret team in the background working on the real nuts and bolts of what it really means to do a diversity and inclusion, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to tell the CEO or talk about that too much because I don't really know what they're going to do over there yet. And I can't link it to a spreadsheet item. And I don't want, you know, and they'll get all excited. This team's going to get all excited and energized. If you're on that team right now, I'm sorry. I hate to tell you. Your Mm -hmm. team's going to get disbanded in about 2.5 years if you last Mm -hmm. that long. And they are all excited. They're building executions and strategies. They think they're making an impact, but they're not making an impact at the at the heart and soul of the person who's going to make decisions about who stays and goes and where the company is directed because we're still, the HR director is still selling them data based on what they thought they wanted to hear, which was volume, clicks, 
and, and et cetera, not on impact. They're not making a business case impact because they don't think the CEO wants to hear it. And that's where they messed up because if they don't start telling that story now, when the CEO is paying attention, really realigning their story and their data and their ecosystem around it, when the trend dies and it will die, like all trends die, unfortunately, the CEO will look at it and say, I can't afford this trend today. I have to sell my product. And that's where I get pissed off because diversity and inclusion as a trend is offensive. Right. It should that, be. That just, I just, that makes my blood boil. This is not a trend. This should be intrinsic to your business. So again, that's, that's call me triggered, call me whatever you want. But if this, <laughs> if, if you, if your goal is to market your way around your old white guy board and your old white guy C-suite, I, I have no time for you. Right. But that is, and, and by the way, I don't, again, I just, as I laid out in that scenario, nobody in that scenario was inherently a bad person trying to make no. bad choices. They're no. all making assumptions about what they think the other person wants, and they're not pushing the envelope. You cannot survive in the type of work that we do, whether it's recruitment, marketing, relationship building, whether it is diversity and inclusion, whether it is training and development, Right. These people-oriented functions will not survive at the end of the day unless they change their approach from one of appeasement, right? I appease the people who asked, who called on the bat phone, to aggressive and focused on articulating a clear picture that is not sunshiny and sweet about what happens when they don't execute, right? This is challenging. Which is brave. Yeah, right? this it's is very brave. brave because you now be what brave. that says is I have to paint a story that says when things are good, I have to make it clear to you that if I don't do this right, the damage will be done, right? That right. In fact, it will not only hurt you, it will hurt me because now I am holding myself accountable to real measures. It's easy to hold ourselves accountable to the spreadsheet measures when things are good. Because we know how to reach those. They're simple. They're easy. I can pull all the same triggers and get measures like volume and clicks and impact and uh, customer experience surveys and all of that crap. I can, I can do that. I can, we, we know how to pull that trigger. It is much harder to hold myself accountable to. I change the trajectory of the business and we produced a better and more uh, product that, a pre, that was valuable to a more diverse audience and your bottom line improved. Yeah. We don't want to hold ourselves accountable to that. That's hard. Well, that's hard. Yeah, that's hard. People don't like hard. I don't mind hard. So then this is where I flip on the other side. Then, then we have to, then, then we need to pack up our our stuff and go home. Right. And, 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 and just call it right. No, no wonder we are um, not perceived as valuable. We, we don't hold ourselves to the standard of a valuable organization. And it's interesting because I always tell people there are, it's very rare to have a recruitment marketing emergency, yeah. right? It's very rare, right? There's no, uh, recruitment marketing is not necessarily a 24-7 job, right? It's, it's, it's not, it, it's very hard to have a recruitment marketing <laughs> emergency. However, if you are doing it right, you are doing the hard work. You are doing, having the brave conversations. And you've told me that I, I love your rubber band analogy, 
Mm-hmm. You are, you know, and, and you can share this, but basically, Lynn, you know, one of the things that's very challenging about what we do in recruitment marketing, and I'm sure what the what the amazing people in DNI do is you're constantly stretching everyone around you like a rubber band. And at a certain point, the tension is too high and it snaps. And you correct me if I've got yep. your analogy wrong. Yep. No. Um, but but what we have to do as leaders in these in these areas is instead of trying to snap it right? Mm-hmm. We have to then go find a bigger rubber band. Right. Exactly. And then we have to replace, right? Yes. And it's a tricky business. Anybody, mm-hmm. I want anybody out there to go and try it right now. Take a rubber band, take two different size rubber bands, put the bigger one on the table in front of you. It's your vision of what you're trying to go towards. Take the smaller one, put it on one finger, put the other end on the other finger and start to stretch it until it can't stretch any further, right? Mm-hmm. Now, figure out how to take that one that's on the table and without snapping and breaking the rubber band on your finger right now, right? Without reducing the distance between your two fingers that that rubber band is holding together, pick up that other rubber band and move it forward to the next place. How do you do it? Right. You can't do it. You can't do it after you've already stretched the rubber, the first rubber band. When you have reached a stretching point where it is either going to snap or stay, right? Yep. Nothing Mm -hmm. stays static. Everything is always dynamic. It will either snap back, right, or you have to replace it with the next one. When it can grow mm-hmm. no further, you have to replace. And we're yeah. not replacing it with anything. Nope. We're, we, we are not being bold enough to replace it with something. Your old ideas, everybody, your old mantras of this is how I provide value. If you're confused about whether or not those will last the test of time, Welcome to the age of COVID-19. How many Mm -hmm. of you are out of work today? How many Mm -hmm. of you are afraid you're going to be out of work? How many of you are watching what's going on in the world around you and frustrated that you are not having the impact you feel like you could have if people would just have listened to you? Guess what? We didn't deal with our rubber band correctly. We just pushed and pushed (laughs) and pushed and pushed and pushed and did not have any plan to put a new one in place. Yeah. And, And boom. And I'm, I'm as guilty of that as anybody. I have been, you've heard me, I have been, I have spent the last month um, frustrated, frustrated, scared, anxiety ridden. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I believe in it so much, right? I couldn't do work if I'm not passionate about it. But agree. Right. But we're all stuck in this, in the same state. So now we're here. So um, excuse my analogy, Tracy, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's time to pack up shop, right? And go start an antique store on the corner i don't i'm not are you sure i'm I'm pretty (laughs) sure i hate antiques first of all but that was the only analogy i could come up with at the moment i think it is time for us to reach in dust ourselves off and look at where can we actually add value there's less of us we have a less we we don't have the voice we wish we had we don't have the ability to create the influence we might have thought we, we, we had and we realized that it was only fake influence. Okay. Build your manila folder plans. What could you do? Um, and if you're waiting for somebody else to tell you, and if you think it's about altering your plan so that it makes somebody else happy, you're going to snap again. Yeah. It's going to snap back at you. Right. And it hurts like shit when it hurts. It, that is not good. I don't like that. God, I hate that. Right. Um, We don't want it. 
No. And I know we have this, we've been having, we've been circling around this conversation. I mean, we had a, one of our, do you know one of our, what our most downloaded episode is on the, on the pod? The dark and stormy night for <laughs> Because before COVID-19 happened, Tracy, we were already feeling that the rubber band was stretched too far. Exactly. We were all wondering, what the heck are we going to do? Yeah. We can't keep having the same conversations and not making any traction and nothing's really happening. And how do we really get it moving forward? We were already sensing it. And the, and the implications of that were when things got rough, guess what happened? What we thought was going to happen exactly happened. The rubber band snapped in our faces. Mm-hmm. And everybody's sitting there right now going, well, what's the purpose of my life? Yep. What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do now? Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't understand me. I can't believe, I can't believe, think of how, how, how much it hurts when we realize that this thing we built, that we trusted all of these people, they told us how fabulous we were. And I love this great campaign you did. Look how glossy it is. And thank you for your numbers and et cetera, right? And then they didn't care about us the next day when the spreadsheet didn't, didn't balance out. Mm-hmm. That hurts. We, we, we think, how could that be? They couldn't have really loved us. They did. They left you at the moment, but you were only for the moment because you weren't thinking about the intent. You were thinking about making people happy. Yeah. I like this topic. It's a good topic. I would love to hear from listeners on Twitter. Um, let's start talking about our, our manila folder. Let's start talking about how we pivot and let's start talking about the value that can be created by the work that we do in the post COVID world like that. I, I think that that's where we need to bring a very bright focus and, you know, again, I'm going to mention if anybody has been displaced because of COVID-19, please reach out to me on Twitter at T Parsons about the Sunshine Initiative. And if you are looking to, if your business has rebounded and you need to, you know, add some recruitment, marketing, employer, brand, HR tech talent, please go visit the Sunshine Initiative and let me know who I can connect you to. Absolutely. And hopefully you guys have been listening in. We've been inserting um, people commercials, because what we care about, um, Tracy and I, is, is about getting, the, getting visibility to these voices out there who have something to share with you and with your company. So um, if you're looking for any of these great people, we will add their LinkedIn information and contact information in the notes as well and connect you over to the Sunshine Initiative. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy, for introducing a hard topic. That um, no, it's a, it's that's what we're supposed. To, that's what we do, right? We want to have a conversation. Know. So thank you. Yeah, and I think that's what people like about this, right? We're we're gonna we're gonna talk about the hard stuff. It is yeah. it is difficult to do what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, there are very few emergencies, but it is the hard work. <laughs> there are very few emergencies, except for, I'm, I'm imagining there are these. Never mind. I could tell you stories about the day the CMS died, right? Oh, sure. They aren't yeah, real uh-huh. emergencies. Nobody died in the making of recruitment marketing. No, no, no. no. We so. are not. We are not solving the world's problems. We are so. not. Like, this is not. No. Yeah, and and no, that's okay. Nobody's, nobody's going to die on the table. Exactly. In recruitment marketing. Exactly. So reach out to Miss Tracy at. T. Parsons on Twitter and of course on LinkedIn you can reach her as well and you can reach me at Aileen Bailey on the Twitters or through my LinkedIn profile and of course um, connect with us on the Twitter account at our Rebelcast. Have a great week out there everybody. Um, Keep your chins up. 
keep working hard, keep thinking about what you can be doing and what you really care about and, and see if you can start to reshift your focus. Um, we're going to be here in that conversation with you as well. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. Bye. Take care, y'all. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recruitment Marketing Rebelcast. Tracy and I feel privileged and blessed to be a part of your day and would love to have you reach out and tell us what's on your mind. You can reach us on Twitter, Adeline Bailey, and or at T Parsons. Until next time, here's hoping you see a rainbow, have a good belly aching laugh, and find some joy in connecting and growing the world of TA and recruitment marketing. Talk to you soon. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.